A quick note from the team here at Brainstaple. First, we'd love to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and hope you have a most joyous holiday. Secondly, it is your mission, our valuable listeners, to go out there and educate your family, friends, and anybody that you meet this holiday of how to find a podcast, how to listen to a podcast, and more specifically, subscribe to this podcast. Your support really helps us a lot. And happy holidays. You can even sit in the seat where Oswald sat. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share their views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. We're your hosts, Mike Zolkowski, Sean McIver, Scott Elfstrom. This week marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. For an entire generation, where you were on November 22, 1963, is one of the defining points of your life. For Dallas, it is an event that will never be forgotten, but remains a difficult one to come to terms with. Before we start, Sean, what's your favorite music venue in Dallas? I like the Coca-Cola Starplex. That's funny, because I like the Smirnoff Center. Well, I'm partial to the Gexa Energy Pavilion. I've never been there. Today's show will focus on important and historical landmarks in the JFK story. As we begin, I'd like to talk with you guys about our experiences moving to Dallas and coming to terms with the legacy of JFK. You know, for me, personally, and my parents, they were both in high school when it happened. My father was in his social studies class. My mother was in her, was in a Spanish class when they got the word through the school that the assassination had happened. All of our parents lived through this event, and my exposure to it is a little different. I remember, Mike, when we were in college, it was about 1994, you and I went down to visit uh, my mom. She was at a library convention downtown. We went to eat lunch with her. And we were driving back. We got a little turned around in downtown. And I remember driving down the street, not being able to figure out where we were. And then all of a sudden, we stopped at a stoplight. And I look up, and all this stuff is familiar. And I look over, and we, we go through the stoplight. And something clicked. And I say, Mike... I know where we are. We're in Dealey Plaza. This is where Kennedy got assassinated because we were driving right by the book depository through Dealey Plaza. And from that point, I was able to get out, you know, through the triple underpass and to go back home on 35. So it was it was a, literally a landmark to get us back up to Richardson to, to go to, back to college. I don't remember the first time that I went to Dealey Plaza, but I remember my first real exposure to the story of the JFK assassination and the impact that it had on the country and the world. And that was when I was in high school, I worked at the movie theater in town. And when the Oliver Stone JFK movie came out, I was closing up the theater that night with a bunch of other guys. And the projectionist had just gotten the print and he assembled it and it was opening the next day. And we all stayed after hours, closed everything up about 1 a.m. And then probably about 1.32, they started the movie. And it's a long movie, guys. It's really long. I sat there on the edge of my seat for three and a half hours, four hours, whatever it was, dead tired, but still riveted by this amazing, rich story. And there's a lot of fiction in that movie, but it did a really good job of wrapping up the whole concept and the whole history and legacy of this event. What's interesting is our personal connection to Kennedy's assassination. He was on his way to the Dallas Trademark, which is now known as the World Trade Center, to give a speech to the Dallas Citizens Council and the founders of Texas Instruments, Eugene McDermott, Cecil Green and Eric Johnson, and that was commemorating the establishment of what is known as the Graduate Research Center of the Southwest, and it was a soon-to-be-completed campus in Richardson, Texas. President Kennedy would never arrive for this event, and it would fall on Eric Johnson to announce to the crowd the terrible news of his death. The Graduate Research Center would eventually become the University of Texas at Dallas, and 30 years after the assassination, three high school graduates would come to UT Dallas, become friends, and then eventually start this podcast. 
That's us, in case you don't know that. So we all do have a connection to the assassination, but what are some of the other connections that the city has, and how do they tell the story of that morning in November 50 years ago? We start with 411 Elm Street. In November of 1963, President Kennedy traveled to Texas to raise money for his re-election in 1964 and improve support for the Democratic Party in the state. He arrived in Dallas late in the morning of November 22nd and set out in a motorcade with Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson and Governor John Connolly and their wives and staff intending to travel by motorcade through downtown Dallas to the Dallas Trademark. At 12.30, as the motorcade passed through Dealey Plaza, the president will be killed by an assassin's bullet. Dealey Plaza is located in a part of downtown Dallas where Elm, Main, and Commerce Street converge and pass through a railroad line triple underpass, the plaza forming from Houston Street to the underpass. And it takes the shape of a sort of curved triangle as the Elm and Commerce Street converge towards Main Street in the middle. Now, you may remember these streets from our Deep Ellum episode. Dealey Plaza is on the western end of downtown, while Deep Ellum is past the far eastern side of downtown. The plaza was opened in 1941 as a park to honor newspaper publisher and civic leader George B. Dealey. It featured column porches and reflecting pools on the east end along Houston Street, and pergola-covered walkways and steps on the low hills that lined the walkways on the north and south boundaries of the park. Bordering the plaza were various local government buildings, including the old Dallas Courthouse and the Texas School Book Depository, which is located at 411 Elm Street. The route of the motorcade took the president down Main Street, turning right onto Houston Street and then left onto Elm Street. Shots rang out shortly as the president's limo turned from Houston onto Elm, at least three shots hitting the president, the third being a fatal headshot. These shots were famously fired by Lee Harvey Oswald from a window overlooking the plaza on the sixth floor of the depository, and was located at the northwest corner of Elm and Houston. Today, this building is owned and operated as office space for the Dallas County Administrative Department, and in 1989, the Sixth Floor Museum was opened to examine the life and assassination of President Kennedy, preserving exactly as found Oswald's sniper spot. I've actually been there. It's a fantastic museum, and it's really a great place to visit. If you go to Dealey Plaza today, you will see that it's largely been left the way that it was in 1963. Some trees have grown, the roads have been resurfaced, and in the case of Houston Street, turned into one-way streets, and there's relatively little in the way of signage or advertising, although the school book depository had a Hertz sign on top of it throughout the 1960s. There is also an X that marks the spot where the final shot struck the president. It looks largely the way it does in the famed home movie filmed by Abraham Zapruder, which captured the assassination. And while we're not going to get much in the way of conspiracy theories, it is worth noting that you can also see the Grassy Knoll, which is the hill that leads up to the north side pergola near where Zapruder was filming, and a wooden fence behind the pergola, which is alleged to have been where a second shooter was firing from. If you go, there are always some conspiracy theorists set up there selling materials and eagerly awaiting a chance to debate the subject. 5201 Harry Hines After the shooting, the president and Governor Connolly, who was also wounded, were rushed immediately to the emergency room at Parkland Hospital, which is a few miles north of downtown Dallas. Parkland was the public hospital for Dallas County, and in 1963, the largest hospital in North Texas. Doctors at Parkland worked for 22 minutes to save President Kennedy's life, but at 1 p.m., he was pronounced dead. Now, naturally, there was a great deal of chaos and confusion centered around Parkland at that point, with White House officials, the FBI, local law enforcement, and the press all converging on the hospital. Before the end of the day, there was a standoff between White House Chief of Staff Kenneth O'Donnell, who was played by Kevin Costner in the movie 13 Days, and the Secret Service on one side, and the Parkland staff, the Dallas County Medical Examiner, and Justice of the Peace Theron Ward over whether the body should be removed. And it was removed, but this is possibly in defiance of state law, uh, since this was an active crime investigation. And this provides a lot of, lot more conspiracy theory evidence kindling to the fire. 
Today, Parkland remains one of the most important public hospitals in the area and the most important trauma emergency room in Dallas. In 2015, a new hospital building will open, and there is a JFK Memorial Garden planned for the new facility. 8008 Cedar Springs Road. Dallas Love Field was in 1963 the major airport of the Dallas area. This is prior to the founding of DFW Airport. Founded during the First World War as a training field, by the 1960s, it was a major hub for Braniff and American Airlines. It was also one of the key locations to the events surrounding the assassination. President Kennedy flew into Love Field and would have flown out to Austin following his speaking event. It was on the tarmac in Air Force One as they waited to depart Dallas to return to Washington, D.C. with Kennedy's body that Lyndon Baines Johnson was sworn in as the 37th president by local federal judge Sarah Hughes, making him the only president to be sworn in by a woman and the only one within the borders of Texas. I have been on the retired Air Force One at the Wright Museum located in Dayton, Ohio, and it is fascinating to be on Air Force One. 231 West Jefferson While the president was taken to the hospital, a manhunt for the killer was touched off. Police officers had actually encountered Oswald at the school book depository, but since he works there, he was not initially a suspect. When it was realized that he left after the building had been locked down, an APB was put out on Oswald. Patrol officer J.D. Tippett observed Oswald near the boarding house in nearby Oak Cliff that he was living in at the time, and is believed to have been shot by Oswald as Tippett pulled up beside him. Oswald fled to the nearby Texas theater, where war movies Battle Cry and War as Hell was playing. Soon, police arrived and located Oswald in the theater. After a scuffle, Oswald was arrested and, s- and charged with the murder of J.D. Tippett. But by the evening, he would also be arraigned for the murder of the president. Today, after many years of neglect, the Texas theater has been restored and is an art house theater, coffee shop, and live music venue. You can even sit in the seat where Oswald sat. 1312 and a half Commerce Street. Two days after the assassination, as Oswald was being transferred from the Dallas police headquarters to the county jail, local nightclub owner Jack Ruby stepped past police and press members surrounding Oswald and shot him, fatally wounding him. Ruby claimed he hoped to spare Jackie Kennedy the grief of a public trial. Ruby was, by all accounts, a relatively small-time operator who ran a few nightclubs, burlesque houses, and bars, was at least friends with various underworld types, and was alternately friends with or in trouble with city and state officials. After killing Oswald, Ruby would be convicted of murder and sentenced to death. He would win a case against the state for denying him a fair trial, but would die of complications due to cancer in 1967. In the time he spent in prison, he would make wild and cryptic statements about the true facts of the case, and Ruby's motivations and just the bizarre nature of his involvement in the situation have probably done as much as anything to further the conspiracy arguments surrounding the assassination. For a brief time, one of Ruby's joints, the Carousel Club, which was located at 1312 and a half Commerce Street in downtown Dallas, became the most famous burlesque house in the world. But his clubs didn't long survive him. Sometime in the 60s, the whole block of buildings where it was located was torn down, and it became the site of first Southwestern Bell and now AT&T's headquarter building. And in yet another fun harmonization of history, I'm an AT&T employee. I've actually been to this building several times, but I never knew that that was where the Carousel Club was located. 214 Neely Street. So Lee Oswald was raised for part of his life in Fort Worth, and after returning from the Soviet Union, where he had defected in 1959, with a Russian wife and a child, he returned to Fort Worth, living with first family, and then in several meager apartments and rental houses from 1962 to 1963. Many of these are gone, such as the house in Mercedes Street in Fort Worth and the apartment on Elizabeth Street in Dallas. But the duplex at 214 West Neely Street in Oak Cliff, where the famous photo of him holding up the rifle that he would use to kill Kennedy, is still there. It's not a really great neighborhood, and it is a private residence, so if you don't know who you're looking for, you wouldn't be able to find it. 
7301 East Lancaster Avenue. Oswald was buried in the Shannon Rose Hill Cemetery in Fort Worth. His mother is buried next to him, and there is a simple marker there with the word Oswald. Due to vandalism and numerous headstones being stolen, cemetery workers won't give visitors directions to the grave or graves adjacent to his. 6463 East Lancaster Avenue. You can, however, visit the Aussie Rabbit Lodge, a dive bar nearby, which takes its name from Oswald's Marine Corps nickname. All these locations are very interesting, and they kind of illustrate the point that the city has kind of a weird relationship with this event, with the assassination. They alternate between honoring the event and and ignoring it or disregarding it or trying to cover it up. And one of the interesting memories I have of this, and a good example of how strange the city can be about this, is that we used to go to a club on Greenville Avenue called the Red Jacket, and they had swing music on Thursdays. And it was claimed that this place had been a bar that Ruby had tried to buy or was trying to take over back in the 60s. And he had been drinking there the night before he shot Oswald. Now, there's no verification of this. No one can corroborate this. But in 1998, on the 35th anniversary, they actually opened up an adjacent lounge bar, which they called the Ruby Room. And we were regulars at this this club, and we were invited guests to the opening. And I remember the centerpiece display was what, in retrospect, is really shockingly bad taste. It was the pistol, the actual pistol that Ruby had used to shoot Oswald, and it was a centerpiece display for this event. Now, these clubs closed down in the early 2000s, but it's just yet another example of really the strange, some of the strange things that pop up in relation to the assassination. You know, we've talked a little bit, Sean, about the kind of odd relationship that Dallas has with this event that it, you know, neither planned for nor asked for. But they do have the John F. Kennedy Memorial downtown. It's located about a block from Dealey Plaza and was designed by the architect Philip Johnson and was approved by Mrs. Kennedy. It's a cenotaph, which is a structure that consists of a square, open-top concrete box with entrances on two sides, with only the words John Fitzgerald Kennedy carved in the, in the wall. It is very minimalist and abstract, but while it was designed by a friend of the president and approved by his family, there's always been a lot of criticism of the memorial, and some seem to think that it, he at least deserved better, and at most it may symbolize the resistance in the Dallas to really remembering Kennedy. Right, but that being said, the city seems to be approaching this 50th anniversary with a lot of anticipation, and it seems that ever since the Sixth Floor Museum opened, there is a sense that this fantastic museum is indeed a fitting memorial to the president. It will be interesting to see, though, how Dallas observes this momentous anniversary. That about wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm at Mike Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.